welcome newcomers. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You're listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast, Asheville's premier soccer podcast. Welcome back to another episode of You're Smarter Than Us. Grateful for his time and his voice. We have with us Jim Hicks, Chattagooner. How are you, sir? I'm great, Tim. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you for being on with us. So I don't think anybody listening to this has any illusions of where myself and if you follow Jim or know Jim at all, of where we stand um, politically. We're not going to get too, too deep into that, but needless to say, I would imagine everybody is exhausted after an extended election season that seems like it stretched back into 2015, um, coupled with the pandemic, with a lack of outlets to relieve stress and anxiousness and anxiety. And on November 3rd, and then the corresponding Saturday afterwards, um, it it felt like a little bit of a weight was lifted off of our shoulders. And I know on um, January 20th, I've already asked off for the day, that I I know that elephant that's been sitting on my chest will finally get up and and theoretically go back down to South Florida. And uh, we just won't have to hear about it quite as much. And there's still work to be done. There's still a lot of work to be done, but we, we can almost kind of do it on our own terms and we can allow, um, we, we get to frame the narrative for a little while, for at least a couple of years. And I think that needs to be done with clear eyes, um, a, a light heart and a, a soul that is theoretically free of grievances. And um, much, much like I think any true, true soccer fan, um, you know, maybe even just casual soccer fans in things of our personal life and our work life trickle over into our fandom and our fandom. God, God bless any of you that are Arsenal fans. We know our fandom trickles into our personal life and think there's a chance to go into 2021 with a little bit of a reset. There's, you know, things look good with the vaccine. Sports are coming back. We're, we're, we're theoretically getting our democracy back. And I, I wanted to reach out to Jim before we go into the holiday season and, and give both him and I an opportunity to air our grievances. So um, you're smarter than us listeners. Welcome to Soccer Festivus. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jim, I, I reached out to you earlier today and proposed this idea to you. And, um, you know, we just talked, I think, for a solid half hour so uh, I, I hope we didn't waste anything good for the pod and, and just our waffling. But um, I, I know you've got some grievances. So, Jim, I'm going to go ahead and jump in the deep end. A new holiday was born. A festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> with two feet here. Um, and, and I would like to state that I have a grievance with the Greenville Triumph attempting to have 2,000 fans at their USL League One Um, championship game about a month ago, maybe, maybe a little less. Um, The game ended up getting canceled because um, Omaha Union players and I I guess the entire staff eventually, uh, it it rifled through the club. Um, Coronavirus did positive tested. Not a week later, the USL championship final got canceled for a very similar reason. But 
I am in North Carolina. I'm about an hour away from Greenville. I know the culture in Greenville in South Carolina is radically different than North Carolina. I, I still have a problem with this. I don't, I don't know exactly where the intersection of community responsibility, community entertainment, where, where that intersectionality is and where a club where who, who is, I guess, in essence, a small business where they have the responsibility to keep their fans safe. And I, I have to admit, I'm a little frustrated. I had some Greenville Triumph fans um, in my DMs and other places basically um, telling me that I was virtue signaling and I need to get off my high horse, that there was no positive cases that had ever come from any of the games or any of the tailgates that they were aware of. And um, it wasn't fair for me to try to be um, blaming the triumph when it was actually, you know, Omaha that had the positive cases and I should have been pointing my scorn at them. Um, nonetheless, I this is a grievance of mine and, and I wanted to air it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm you know, uh, we, we had our own little dealing with that Tim you know, we we had two we had two matches where fans could go and uh, at CFC and so we had we had our own little internal dialogue with between supporters uh, about that that very thing and I, how big is Greenville's stadium so i don't know exactly what the law or i guess it's not really a law i guess i would imagine they're doing their phases too like currently north carolina is in a it, we're, we're in phase three but individual counties are allowed to go smaller i guess or or you know redact some of the uh, freedoms within it but you can never add freedoms onto it freedoms is probably oh my god that's just red meat for some QAnon out there um <laughs> that's probably the wrong way to phrase it but the uh, uh less restrictions should i say but i'm assuming that uh South Carolina has a law or a mandate right now that's basically saying things can be at 50% because Legacy Stadium, it's, I mean, it's a charter school, but uh, that stadium only holds 4,000 people. Uh, so they were trying to have this at 50% capacity. And in Greenville, if you look at the tool Georgia Tech used, um, that's a 99, over a 99% chance that, you know, multiple people there have coronavirus, which I think that's just a safe assumption almost anywhere you go. And they claimed that protocols were in place, um, you know, social distancing was put in place. I'm sorry, if, if you're at 50% capacity, you can't socially distance the way that it's being recommended because you have to have six feet in a you know, complete circle around you. Um, I understand households can sit together, but it, it's impossible to do that at 50 percent. Uh, if if you just want to be honest and tell me that you're hosting a championship game after a bonkers season and um, you're you're very proud of that and you, you know, led the top of the table since day one and you think your fans should be there and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that's how you want to frame it. Be honest with me. Don't try to tell me that you can put 2,000 fans in that stadium and do it the right way. If you're selling alcohol, if you're selling food, people are going to be taking their masks off. It's not the same thing as 25 people in a restaurant eating at the same time. Um, you're singing, you're dancing, you're screaming at the top of your lungs, you're moving around, you're, you're, you're going to be exhaling and, and you know, 
spittle and and uh, you're just no, 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 no. And I'm sorry, your fandom in this argument. Um, I had a a gentleman who um, you know went at me pretty hard. I went and checked his Twitter account. You know, outside of this, I think me and this guy would have been best friends. Um, all of his political opinions lined up with mine. He uh, made some social justice characters, uh, characterizations that I actually completely agree with. He made some really good points that I hadn't seen other people bring up. And at the same time, without a shadow of doubt, his fandom is putting blinders up on him and telling him, no, it's okay if I do this because I'm going to be safe. I'm sorry, the other 1,999 people that were going to be at that game, you you can't trust that they were going to do the same things as you. You can't trust that they're going home to the same people who are doing the same things and the same, being careful in the same way. I just, this nickel and diming in returning to normalcy specifically in sports because you know what the concert industry isn't doing this restaurants are showing a level of care that i don't think you know well most restaurants are that i don't think other industries are showing it for whatever reason sports continues to be this golden idol that we we are treating differently than other industries in this country right now and why there are fans at almost any of these games short of distancing multiple, multiple 20, 30, 40 feet. I I just, I don't understand. And it's the exact sort of nickel and diming that's going to lead us into a second shutdown potentially, or at least draw this thing out. It's things like that that make me feel like the Asheville City season's in jeopardy. Yeah, the, you know, NPSL season, the USL League Two season. I I don't know, Jim. It's a grievance of mine. Yeah. Yeah, is that, is that you feel better now? Is I feel area? a little bit better, Jim. Bit Jim, better? is there anything you would like to get off your chest? <laughs> and at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. Oof, gosh, you know, Tim, you follow me on Twitter. I don't have any. I don't have any real grievances. I, you know, I'm. I. I. I love everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I'll uh, I'll I'll throw out I'll throw out one. Um, you know, and you, you know, but right before we started recording, you asked me about uh, you know. So there was a um, Peter Wilt who was involved with uh, Chicago Nisa uh, had a call with um, Beasley. Why can't I, why can't why not, I just know him as Beasley, not Demarcus? Thank you, Demarcus <laughs> Beasley. Good grief. Uh, and and there, I guess they were sharing stories. He was at Fort Wayne with uh, USL, I guess potential. I guess starting out at League Two, right? And then they'll move to League One. I believe that's the that's the story. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a strange setup. I don't necessarily know that I've seen anybody else. Um, you know, Asheville City. When we announced our League Two move, it within the press release it even said. Yeah, you know, our goal is eventually to do this um, to yeah. move up to League One. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. The way they announced them was as a future League One team, right? That's going yeah. to start in League Two the next season that they can. Yeah, and so so they had a Zoom call and they talked to each other about their, I guess their their own things, and 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 Peter sent out a hey, you know, congratulations, looking forward to seeing 
um, you you know, seeing you be successful and isn't isn't Indiana a hotbed of soccer now? And he listed off a bunch of teams that are in Indiana. Most are USL and or MLS franchises, and and so and 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 so I, I put something out like I you know that's a little frustrating to me. And and I don't mean this. I don't want to make I don't want to make this about Mr. Wilt or Mr. Beasley or those two individual clubs. What I do, what I find. And anybody who follows me or has talked to me knows this, and I, I bring it up every once in a while because I just won't let it go. Like I find this, uh, I don't know, I, you're never going to hear somebody involved with a USL team like giving a pat on the back to NISA clubs. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't see it. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm petty enough, and Tim, you know, you know I am, that I went ahead and I just pulled up two people that I know were highly involved in USL clubs, and I looked through their Twitter feeds to see, hey, you know, do they really talk about clubs outside? And they just don't. And and it's you know the league doesn't do it. As a matter of fact, the one time somebody from USL, I think it was a doctor, somebody somebody with the USL that put together their COVID plan, mentioned NISA like it was a thing on Twitter. Like people were like, "Oh my God, did you hear that? They just said Nisa," and, and and so the fact that it made it onto Twitter, it it blows. It just drives me absolutely batty, and it, it it's it's annoying to the nth degree that, and I understand Nisa's young. I mean, hell, we haven't even played a real full season yet. I understand it, but if you're going to talk about the lower leagues of soccer you have to talk about the group of clubs that are involved in NISA. And, you know, I, I watch NISA broadcasts and the broadcasters mention like upcoming USL games and it drives me batty because you will never hear that going back the other way. And I don't know. It's a grievance of mine. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over it until I don't know. Uh, it's just it's multifaceted. Like even with the 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 uh, athletic, like they put out um, they they have this new like fans of USL. You can come and look at this subsection of our site. And and in the announcement, it said for all the news about American lower division soccer, go here. And it was athletic.com slash USL. And I'm like y'all, there. I know there's not a lot out there outside of the USL, but there's, there's some women's leagues. There's, um, well, not pro, I guess, besides underneath division one, but there's NISA and, and it just drives me nuts. And so I know it's petty. I'm not proud of myself. And every once in a while I say, Jim, it's time to move beyond this. And then somebody says something about lower division soccer and they equivocate that with USL and it brings it all back flooding into me um and yeah i just I, I i just i guess i don't know if that really didn't make me feel better tim when i said it out loud i don't necessarily know that all of our grievances are going to be able to completely be lifted <laughs> off our shoulders uh during this session but i you know jim in my experience of the soccer wars one of the phrases that I heard somebody say once, and it's actually someone who recently I have stopped listening to their opinion. So I, maybe that unto itself is something 
you know, you, you can find wisdom even in people that you find to be ignorant sometimes. And this individual said, um, you know, to, to become a well-rounded, opinionated person, you need to sand down the edges on the things that you think are diamond absolutes. You need to question anything that you completely 100% believe with all your heart. Those are the things you need to question. Not, not to prove yourself wrong, but just to try to gain perspective and make sure that you're not dying on a hill that is, is built in quicksand. And upon applying that to my opinion on lower league soccer, I've actually found a lot of those diamond absolutes. You know, me as the the punk rock NPSL zealot who was going to, you know, uh, die in the wool of NPSL pro, hell yeah, brother, and, um, you know, very anti-franchises, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this, this did not necessarily correspond with actual City's move as much as it did just re-examining the situation and realizing that while I don't necessarily agree with USL's business model, much of it is a byproduct of what the Federation is allowing to happen. And somebody else, somebody else who I don't actually respect their opinion once told me, what you allow continues. And this is a byproduct of what the Federation is allowing to happen. USL is going to continue to happen because they are, they are doing good business in a bad business model. Well, that's that's you know that's the don't hate the player, hate the game kind of. See, stuff. theoretically, theoretically. Now, on on what, where I was trying to go with this is, you know, I've tried to soften some of your edges on some of this. You know, <laughs> don't don't necessarily say that. Hey, you know, you're going to push people away, and you know, this year with the way USL handled COVID, I I'm getting pushed back out to that to that punk rock ledge again. I am very disappointed in USL. I'm very upset with their, to, to be quite honest, the audacity that they showed in thinking that they were going to um, be able to travel their clubs around the country and and what ended up happening with their two championship games not happen. It, that's it, inevitably that was going to happen. And uh, to be quite honest, there's a very good possibility that they caused some of that in some way. So I, I don't think this is something that's going to get solved in one session, but I also do think this is a legitimate concern. I find it fascinating in speaking to coaches and players, fans, I, I don't know what the holy trinity of, of sports is when, when it comes to perspectives. I guess I guess you could claim that like journalists is one and owners and players are kind of a perspective and then fans are a perspective. And and yeah, it's like the third it's like the three estates. Yeah, basically. And it, it <laughs> fascinates me that you know, fans become very tribalistic about things, you know, even when it comes down to leagues and business models. Mm-hmm. And leagues become very tribalistic because, you know, they see, it, no matter what anybody is saying, both, you know, the, the Pritches up in Michigan and, and New Rock down in Tampa, like they see each other as competitors. They're, they don't necessarily, they're, they're going to play friendly when they have to, 
um, on a federation scale, but you know they they both would like to see the others go out of business and then pick up clubs theoretically, unless uh, in, unless Nisa sees a, a benefit in keeping kind of competition around. You know, steel sharpens steel, but USL definitely would be okay with Nisa dying. I would assume, but players and coaches don't don't see it this way. They just they don't. I don't see it as them holding themselves above the fray as much as they they really are the living embodiment of more soccer is better, you know? You know, as much as the league itself will not, US, USL is so reticent to talk about NISA, you talk to those players and coaches, even the front office staff, you know? You, you've got Jeremy, your, your GM that just basically, you know, came from St. Louis to Chattanooga. He right. saw the, the potential, the... Um, the value that wasn't a it, it it wasn't a step back you know it may have been a horizontal move in his eyes it may have even been a step forward in his career um players you you're going to see and i think you're already seeing you know um who was it pittsburgh bought a chattanooga player um you're going to see i think more and more of that you're going to see some usl one players who who for whatever which reason, maybe don't get signed, shift into NISA, and you're going to see NISA players shift into USL League One. You're going to see the championship come into NISA. One of the things, and I actually have a pod coming up about it with um, a stakeholder, but there's a new thing within NISA Nation where they're basically going to do some sort of solidarity payments from the NISA clubs down into the independent cup and amateur clubs. I, I think that's just going to perpetuate recognition. So but, it's, but, it, hey, Tim, it definitely Tim, amazes me these USL fans are a little reticent to do it. The leagues definitely, but the players and coaches already kind of accept USL. Yeah, but so or, or Nissan. Nice, mean. Yeah, so we yeah, even even we yeah we had we've had two players that have played for us, both left backs, and we we I know this isn't an X and X and O's podcast but oh my god we needed some fullbacks this year but anyway <laughs> so <laughs> so both left backs left um one right after the members cup and one right right before the the spring season in the announcement for one of those players they listed the previous clubs and you want to know which club wasn't named <laughs> chattanooga <laughs> that is insane all right yeah. that i mean that that is a level of petty well, that on one level I can appreciate, but um, <laughs> but it's 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 annoying, and it, and it, and it's and it's it's di- well, I mean, it's just annoying. I'll leave it there. I was gonna say disrespectful, but you know that's a word that people I don't know that they throw out, and maybe it's not respect that I'm talking about. It's just it's it's just annoying, and so yeah, that that the treatment of of Nisa as a thing it, it just 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 annoys me. Uh, it just it it just it annoys me. It and and maybe it will and surely it will get better as the league gets older, as it gets quote unquote more established. But uh, but again, you know, I I'll, I'll tell you, I, I watched I watched Indi- independent cup matches. I watched a lot of of Nisa Cup, and even in the even in the tournament, the people who announced the matches talked mm-hmm. about USL. Talked mm-hmm. about that league and other other leagues. If you and, and I don't watch a whole lot of USL broadcasts, so you have to correct me if I'm wrong. But I would be I, really, I'd be really surprised if the word Nisa has ever been mentioned. 
I am not an avid watcher myself. Um, but those, to be fair, those announcers were not league employees, correct? No, they were club employees. They were most of. Well, I mean, no, you talk. Well, not for the. I, I'm talking about even club employees, like people who called mm. the 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 games and matches for like New Amsterdam and and for mm. even Det- in Detroit. So during um, the bubble tournament, the BN Sports, they did too. Not very much, not very much, but they did too. Yeah, but that's BN, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they in, unless the league really has specific talks with them about this. Yeah, exactly. That that's more or less what I was trying to get at. Yeah, and and you know, in in some ways, if they don't, I appreciate that because it's behavior that that I don't like out of USL, and so I I would I would what well, I don't necessarily mind mind it that but it's just it's obvious and it's annoying so that's that's my first grievance you 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 uh, touched on my second one do you want me to you want me to do you want to do the a b b a penalty yeah we'll, we'll do a snake draft of uh, grievances <laughs> so so and is there a tree no instead there's a pole requires no decoration i find tinsel distracting you mentioned you mentioned that the that you weren't sure about um, like the financial structure of USL and, and that if a lot of people, I can't remember how you, you just brought that up. And that's my second one that, Oh, we talked about it. It's, it's the, uh, it's what us soccer allows to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, and, and so I brought up, don't hate the player, hate the game. I, they, they have agency as, as a, as a, as an organization. And, they have chosen a model that sucks money out of the game and sucks money away when their players are not making livable wages, when they are furloughing employees and on the club level and the league level. They have a model that sucks money out of the game and throws it into some real estate company in Alpharetta, Georgia. And... It is league focused, not club focused, and it is upside down, and and in my opinion, is damaging to the game. They restrict access. I mean, you said, and this is the one thing where somebody was like, "Well, you know, we were talking about um, moving into markets and things like that," and and mm-hmm. th- and I, this touches on my third one, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like Jim, why why are you if you're for openness, why were you upset that the Red Wolves came into Chattanooga? If you like open and like Darby's and like and don't like territorial rights, why don't you what you know, why aren't you being hypocritical? And you even mentioned earlier you said you you don't know that Nisa cares if USL lives, they may need that competition, but USL certainly doesn't probably wouldn't mind if Nisa went away. Those two things aren't equal because if Nisa goes away, there are clubs, namely the club I support that are left without a left without a professional home because of the structure of USL. We have nowhere to go. So if Nisa goes away, CFC as now, if somebody is out there screaming into the bliss, Oh, they can make exceptions. Yeah. But they would have to be an exception and a certain other club would have to agree to it, and uh, and 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 and, and. Mm-hmm. so their structure is is I mean it's happening over in the in the 
in the triangle area. I don't know how many how many triangles are in North Carolina. Like, was is it some state law that you have to build three municipalities in the form of of a triangle in 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 North Carolina? So you've got like the research triangle, and you've got the Greensboro High Point. What's the third one in the triangle? That triangle. Uh, Greensboro Hickory. Yeah. So, so yeah. So even there, you've got you've got the the a tri that tri that triangle of towns is maybe getting a club in High Point. Well, that means that if you live in Greensboro or if you're somebody in Greensboro who wants a club, you're screwed. And why? That is just that's asinine. It's insane. And it it so that's my second one that they're upside down. They suck money out of the of of the of the sport. And they restrict access for people who want to have who want to, who want to have a, a team, and you saw it in Oakland. Like I, I'm not going to go into the Oakland situation, other than to say, the reason why Oakland was a thing in NISA was because someone already owned the USL rights to East Bay, and so Oakland was locked out of that. And if mm-hmm. they wanted to have a professional team, they had to go to NISA, mm-hmm. and so now. And I'm sure that frustrated them. Well, now they're the ones locking anybody else out of that market, and it's 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 wrong. And um, and, and and I see it as a, I think it's a fundamental element of the USL business model. Now somebody else might say, well, it's not that big of a deal, and and maybe that's maybe that's something that it hasn't always been that way, which I understand to be true, but it is that way now, and uh, and it's it's part of what gives their franchise value is that they can they can restrict competition within a certain amount of a certain amount of, of space and so those two things the, uh, the 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 way they're structured and the way the financially structured that's why when somebody's like well why do, why do you dislike usl those are the two main reasons why that they they suck money from their clubs and throw it out of the game and then they restrict access um, through territorial rights. When, again, to take one step back, the the sanding down of your opinions and, and <laughs> questioning your diamond absolutes. This is even in the face of me telling you, Jim, you're you're driving sympathetic ears away. You're you're driving people away who I think you could open their minds with some of your rhetoric. This was the thing that I always tripped up on because you you're you're right. Anybody who don't get me started on like Ben and Ted and the the Pro Rail for USA group, I they are their own worst enemies. And that's kind of what I was trying to tell you. Don't be your own worst enemy. But when it comes to markets and locking people out of markets, there is in especially in the lower leagues. There's just no excuse for it. There, It doesn't make sense. I am baffled by it. I don't think there's even um, justifiable, justifiable precedent for it across the country. If you are trying to draw parallels and you know perpendiculars even to other sports, lower league sports, there's nothing like lower league soccer market restrictions anywhere in minor league sports, in, in college, there, there's nothing that even resembles this, these sorts of restrictions and 
diameters and radiuses that are preventing multiple clubs going into fairly large cities at some points to create. It's not a situation of more soccer being better as much as more soccer being ran the right way being better, theoretically. And just look at minor league baseball. Minor league baseball is a template that, I mean, some, some lower league soccer teams take a little too literally, but it's a template that shows you how baseball is a sport that is infinitely on a decline. You know, it is becoming more regional. It is attendances are going down and it has never been worth more money. I actually don't know that for a fact that attendances are going down. That's actually just my assumption. But um, on a national scale, I know ratings are are falling through the floor in terms of um, national ratings. Now, local ratings, that's where the money is. And you see, you know, I, I understand minor league baseball is more of a farm system. So that's why you have the the silly sumo wrestling in between the second and third innings and you do thirsty Thursdays and you're just trying to get people out to the stadium because you don't actually necessarily have a community tie to that club. And I know minor league audiences and attendances are kind of creeping up actually as I think just live events in general in a, in a time and space where streaming is having things on demand, there's now almost a novelty in events, um, something that you don't have control over and, and somebody else is uh, you know, scheduling and, and you have to manage your own time. It, it's so weird to be describing it like that. But these are all built in advantages that lower league soccer is literally just cutting off its nose. And, and specifically with the USL model, it's cutting off their nose despite their own face. You're absolutely right. You cannot tell me that some of these lower league clubs that are getting 4,000 fans, 2,500 fans to a game, that within 45 miles, within 50 miles, you couldn't have another club that is pulling something similar. It's just preposterous to tell me that um, the market shares are too large. And again, I firmly believe that competition, steel sharpens steel, that that a, a rising tide would lift all of these boats. Um, but yeah, you're the I, you described it once or somebody else, artificial scarcity. That's yeah. exactly what it is. And, and well, that's that's the whole that's the whole that's the whole business model for for American sports for U.S. sports is is artificial scarcity that's why i mean that's why a a, a franchise in mls goes for 350 million dollars but you can but you can buy you can buy a club in england for for a hell of a lot less than that yeah um, what did ryan reynolds just pay for no money up front and yeah i mean that, yeah. that that's a club with history that no club in america has right and it, and it's because they know that that in, in order to be a part of their group, you've got to pay. You got to pay the piper. That's I mean, that's the other part of the USL financial structure that I I think is is just terrible. Is is this this idea? You know, now I'm I'm engaging a little bit of rumoring here. So, but you know the the idea that if you that for some people you have to if you change the ownership of a franchise, they have to pay full price, not market price, not what the market bears. 
but what USL says they have to pay. Mm-hmm. And then for other clubs that might serve the purpose of adding to um, – you, you there, Tim? Yeah. Oh, sorry, you cut out for there for a second. So uh, where there are other teams that might serve dual purposes. They strengthen USL, but also, let's say, take a shot at a competitor. Oh, we're not going to charge them the full uh, franchise fee. So, thing you know, there's a club in South Florida that probably mm-hmm. got away with a little bit of that that left NISA. There's another club in the West Coast that allegedly paid a lot less than full price um, and then they killed the club in the Midwest or in the middle of the country because they, you know, they they charged them full. That's just, it's uh, it's gross. So I'll just leave it at that. And and I keep hearing Tim, and I don't know if you hear this too, but I keep hearing, you know, that there are a lot of people in the ownership of USL clubs that don't like this either. I'm like, well, where the hell are? Well, there's options now, folks. And so I that. Um, that excuse is, is kind of going to start to fall on deaf ears. I will be interesting. There's going to be a watershed moment the first time a club, and I do think it happens. I, I don't know what club it will be, but I do believe a club will eventually move from USL to NISA. I would not I, – I don't predict that it's going to be a club that brings its full-blown branding with it, per se. It, it could be a situation of – how would you describe this almost like a a club that stays in its own stadium and everything, but becomes the Baltimore Ravens to USL's Cleveland Browns. Well, there's another thing that you could throw into the whole, the financial structure, the whole structure of the, of USL there, the fact that they, they lock down a private organization's intellectual property. Who, who gives it up willingly though? Don't don't let's not act like that. They held a gun to anybody's head and said, now that we have you, by the way, we're also going to take this. They, they obviously enter into that agreement. Tim? I, w- I will also say, though, Jim, that I know several clubs that are currently operating in both League One and Championship that do not have that attached to. Yeah, because yeah, they're grandfathered. May, they may have been grandfathered in uh, or it, eh, maybe not grandfathered or they maybe, or they grandchild or they or they negotiated yeah, they, or exactly. they negotiated it out. And maybe those clubs are but just I, better ran. Let me just gently push back. Uh, up until a couple of years ago, if you were running a, a pro team, if you wanted to run a pro team in the in this country, um, who did you have to work with? The, the one pro league that had put it together enough to, to have a league. So Right. So uh, what choice did someone have if they wanted to have a pro club? You know, I mean, where where else were they going to go? I mean, you say they gave it up willingly, but they had to sign that franchise deal or go where? I yeah, you're you are right, you are right. So anyway, that's enough. That's enough of that. I find your belief system fascinating. <laughs> well, Jim, let let me tell you something that annoys me. Um, oh, there it, has is, been. Is it about me? No, no, Jim. Um, There has been a recent discourse on um, lower league soccer Twitter, and it's kind of, I'm definitely not going to say it's branched out. I think lower league soccer is just a symptom of this, but it certainly cropped up during the um, USL cancellations of both their finals. It... I actually haven't heard anybody say this applies to Detroit, which I think is interesting. 
indication that the bubble tournament that uh, Nisa ran is taken as more legitimate than some of these other situations. But nonetheless, I digress. Um, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. I am very annoyed right now by the um, thought process that goes into trying to say anybody who wins a championship this year um, does not need an asterisk next to their championship. And Jim, I'm especially annoyed by this because I think the understanding of what an asterisk is supposed to indicate has been maligned and it has been co-opted by those who want to make that that notation make it mean less than. Uh, I'm, I'm annoyed by this because I think everybody who wins a championship this year needs to have an asterisk next to their name. I think I think anybody who goes through almost anything this year needs it noted that they did it during a global pandemic. An asterisk doesn't mean an accomplishment is less than. An asterisk means it was done in extraordinary circumstances, in unorthodox, in a unique situation where if you had been doing something since the early 1900s, and except for World War II, something and a worldwide pandemic, it had been done the exact same way. Well, those three opportunities, those three situations where the season was shortened because of a strike, because of this, and because of a pandemic, you need to note that for history, for posterity, and to try to claim that it decreases or um, means that any of these accomplishments are less than, I, I think that's giving somebody else the power of narrative, whereas it record books are meant for austerity. You know, they, they are there to put things in black and white where there's no room for interpretation. And an asterisk notes that something was done in extraordinary circumstances. And everybody who won a championship this year did them in extraordinary circumstances. They're not less than, you know, but I think the fact that the Greenville Triumph won a championship without a championship game needs to be noted, especially if in the future, every other championship is determined through a game. The Los Angeles Lakers, it needs to be noted that that was won in a bubble tournament. I am under the impression that a bubble tournament, you know, if you just followed the players' Twitter accounts and social media and their interviews they gave afterwards, the bubble was hell. It was safe. There wasn't a single positive case that came out of anything. But it, it wasn't a normal season. There was no such thing as home and away. There was no aggressive away fans. There was no um, East Coast, West Coast travel. But it, it might have even been harder. That needs to be noted. You know, what would Michael, you know, if you want to go into that Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate, which I am always here to have that debate because I have a, a very unpopular opinion on that. But would Michael Jordan have won a championship in a bubble? I don't know. That's something you can talk about. That's that's something that needs to be noted that, you know, he has four championships and one was in a bubble. I, I don't know why the asterisk, you know, 
if I had to put my finger on it and guess why, it's because of the original sin of the asterisk was placed on Roger Maris's 61 home runs over Babe Ruth's. And the asterisk was to indicate that there was more games in that season. And that's why he was able to beat, you know, America's um, hero, Babe Ruth. That's why he was able to conquer in the record books in America's game. You know, the the Superman hero home run record. You know, he had eight more games, six more games to do that. And that's what the asterisk that that asterisk actually had a, a connotation of negativeness to it. That's not what an asterisk actually means. And it annoys me that we have allowed that narrative to persist. So. This is an unrelated, but related to that, um, the issuing of stars for jerseys. Where do you for do you for, cl- for clubs? Yeah, as opposed for, to country. Yeah. So I, so does, it's so it's does, a it's a silly. Does it's Greenville a silly, get a star? Does Greenville get a star? Greenville's absolutely a hundred percent going to get a star. I I could care less. Um, I could care less because I don't view the national teams, the national game, the way that most fans do. So I don't necessarily think the stars mean anything as it is. Um, I, I think the whole practice is a little silly. So it's I hate it's them. neither here nor there. Specifically on club jerseys, right? Yes. Yes. Stars but, you're, are not- but you're okay with country jerseys? Yeah, because I mean, you know, there's a the World Cup only comes around every once every four years. I mean, it's yeah, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But like, if if Arsenal put a star out for all of their, I mean, you know, do you realize how ridiculous that their jersey would look if we had stars for every for every uh, trophy that was won? So, do you think it's just a byproduct of Youth? the the brevity of the competition as a whole? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because is, well, I mean, is there a, a critical mass of stars that they would have to stop doing it then, or like at that point, no, do you get no. do, does it become like Roman numeral stars where instead of like a gold star now you get a yeah a, that's what'll a, happen a platinum yeah. star indicates yep. five gold stars yep that's what'll happen that's what will happen they'll be like oh the first the first club that gets to five or the first franchise that gets to five championships they'll get like a a bigger star it'll be it'll, it'll be like it'll be like Boy Scouts they'll get a bigger or a circle I don't know um, yeah so yeah it, it's it's ridiculous take the stars off the, the you know and I'm all for like the what they do in Italy where the the club has the I can't remember what it's called it's Italian where they have the little Italian flag in the center of their chest mm-hmm. or the EPL changes the the color of the I love that the badge is gold yeah. right you yeah. the gold badge that's cool I don't have yeah. any problem with that for that's only for one year right yes and so it, it's why you're the defending yes yeah, why you're the yeah that I like that yeah. do that do that stars leave them alone yeah, from year to year, I can see that. It's a Festivus miracle! <laughs> Jim, my last grievance in our snake draft of, of grievances that I, w- I want to jump on, and this is a personal one, but it's one that I know you guys in Chattanooga are being affected by, and part of what cropped up this week that made me think of this 
was um, Angel City FC this week announced that they are playing at the um, Bank of California Stadium, LAFC's stadium out there. Um, this uh, Angel City is the new NWSL club out in Los Angeles that has the um, celebrity owners. Um, you know, if if we were able to couch a fourth grievance, my fourth grievance would be this um, needy, needy, neediness that soccer clubs are showing towards celebrities all of a sudden. Um, Austin FC is the uh, most recent a, a griever of this as they desperately try to reach out to everybody from like Simone Biles to Richard Linklater. Um, you know, I'm assuming Matthew McConaughey is a little bit behind this, but nonetheless, I digress. So uh, Angel City, you know, is LA's women's professional soccer team, and they have chosen to play their games in downtown LA, practically. It's, I know that stadium's not like actually Staples Center's downtown, but it's, it's certainly not where LAFC's stadium is, which is much further outside the city. So they, they, you know, they're LA's team. They're playing in a stadium. But a lot of Galaxy fans of the men's side are very upset by this. They're very upset that they have to go to LA um, FC's stadium to watch the women's team. And, and some fans are even saying that they're not going to support them. An extension of this, another thing that happened this week, was Matt Wolfman, whose work I mostly enjoy. Um, I, I would say the vast, vast majority of it I think is fantastic. He uh, finished off in a very um, cheesy uh, reveal for Louisville City, um, their new crest, um, I, I saw a fantastic gym. I don't know if you saw the progression of their crest from 2014. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, there was a tagline on it where somebody said, if you think um, good graphic design is expensive, wait until you see how expensive yep. bad graphic design is. And I just, it was one of those moments where I like put my phone down and just threw my hands up and was like, hallelujah. You know, what a, what a great uh, visual depiction of that saying. But uh, Matt Wolfman came out with the uh, newest Louisville City crest, and this was a redo on their, uh, what did somebody describe it as, a five-sided triangle or something? Um, the one that they came out with last year, or maybe it was Ugh. earlier this year, that yeah. had the weird line that cut from the left to the right and didn't connect into a corner, and it generally may have actually been the like worst crest I've ever seen in my entire life. And that I feel like that's saying something. Like it, it was very, very bad. Well, Matt Wolfman comes in and fixes it. Well, Matt Wolfman also a month or two ago, um, Louisville City also has an NWSL team coming in. They actually just had their expansion draft and they drafted Jennifer Cujo from Sky Blue, the former Asheville player who's um, kit I ordered with her name on the back on the back of the bubble tournament. I still haven't received it because nobody thinks that men wants women jerseys. So she doesn't even play for the team. The jersey that I haven't gotten yet that I'm going to get that's coming from Germany and Nike's on back. Oh, oy vey. Nonetheless, um, Louisville City, <laughs> their crest done by Matt Wolfman, who also did racing Louisville's crest. It's very similar. 
And in his explanation of it, he said that, um, you know, it's it's one club. Um, well, it's not one club. It's one ownership group. And he viewed the Cress not as brothers and sister, but cousins, I think he described it as, or maybe it was brothers and sisters, um, you know, same family, but not the same club. And Jim, I, I want to say that the women's game, I will continue to maintain and beat this drum. Guys, if you have not listened to my conversation with uh, Darby Lockridge, I think it was like two pods ago, please go back and listen to it. She's a brilliant, brilliant journalist, and we had a great conversation. But the women's game continues to be the most under-leveraged sporting market in the world and within this country. I don't know that there is another – I actually heard somebody tell – or I I put this out there and somebody came back at me and said that cricket actually is, which I think is fascinating, and I don't know enough about cricket, but – I, I think women's soccer is the most under-leveraged property, sporting property in the world. And in this country specifically, we have completely lost our advantage, um, our infrastructure advantage. Other countries have caught up. I think our dynasty in the national game is, is, has basically evaporated. I don't know who the next generation of players coming up um, I don't know them well enough compared to other countries to know if we can, um, can uh, maintain any sort of competitive advantage. But within this country, the drifting of the women's game into looking like MLS light and the constant framing of the women's game through the lens of the men's game, I think is awful. I think it's a detriment to the growth of the women's game. And as most things in life, I think women are generally going to do it right for the first time and men are going to have to follow. And we're going to be at a crossroads where we can either follow their leads or tell them, no, you're doing it the wrong way and mansplain them back into an MLS model. And it scares me to death that every day we are getting closer and closer to the NWSL looking like the MLS. So where, so where do you fall on uh, like the, this, the same club? So like, yeah, there was a conversation I was, I was watching, it was Arsenal, Arsenal women and somebody else. Chelsea. And, and, it, may have been, and it wasn't the Chelsea. It was, it was the match before that. I can't remember who it was. Man U. Yeah, maybe, maybe Man U. And they had, they were talking after the match about, um, the the prevalence of the Premier League clubs now dumping money in and putting a real threatening the the more legacy women's clubs that um, like the London Bees and you know some other some other women's clubs that have that have come up through um, through the women's game in England now you know Man City is dumping a lot of money into it and Chelsea mm-hmm. is dumping a lot of money so you don't you're not going to have women's clubs you're going to have the women's club of the men's team like like Arsenal I mean you know you mm-hmm. have this it's the same crest it's the same kit it's the same sponsor it's the same everything except it's just women in the jerseys and not men um and that now they don't play at the Emirates of course you know they have to play they, they do else. sometimes but yeah yes, they're at what what is it Borum Bormwood yeah, Bormwood yeah yeah so where, so where, because I told you earlier 
that you know, I I tweeted a, or retweeted an article uh, or a thread by Katie. I think she pronounced her name Katie Wyatt, mm-hmm. uh, who's a, a relatively. I think she's she's not a new reporter, but thinks she's new to the Athletic, and she tweeted out something about Liverpool, who whose new training ground. Um, this is this is what she says. Liverpool's new training ground has everything, except at least for now the women's team. So the women mm-hmm. don't train at the same place; they train mm-hmm. somewhere else. So where where do you? And, and so I know that Detroit was has been very intentional about putting everything they do, whether it's whether they're announcing the women's team or they're announcing the men's team, it's all under the same like social media account. It's mm-hmm. the same badge. Mm-hmm. So where where do you fit? Where where does that fit into your um, your grievance? So I want to preface this by saying I, I think my opinion on this matter is completely framed by the fact that I'm an Asheville City fan. Um, Jim, you mentioned on a podcast ago about how American sports fans, specifically soccer fans, and spe- even more specifically lower league soccer fans are in a situation where because their clubs are so young, it's very hard to separate their fandom from the owners. And I think I'm actually, you know, even of a subsect of that because my fandom of Asheville City is doubly what it is because of our owners. Uh, if, if there was a different group, if it was an external, non-local, if it was somebody from Florida that owned part of Asheville City and, you know, they were hand gladding with the Chamber of Commerce, I don't know what I would feel. I don't know. I would probably go. I would probably love the team. I would probably have merch, but I certainly wouldn't have a podcast. I certainly wouldn't do everything that I do for the club. It is specifically because of the owners and some of their viewpoints that I believe some of the things I believe. So therefore, the way that they have practiced what they preach about the men and the women, the ownership group is all one ownership group. Um, Were the men to ever go professional We have three women that can proudly say they own a professional men's team. Hopefully, when the women go professional, there'll be nine men that can say, I own part of a professional women's team. Again, that gets back into how I think the lower leagues of the women's is the most exciting thing on the horizon out there. And so they, from day one, have never differentiated. Fans have. I'm, I'm actually very disappointed in some of my friends who go to the Asheville men's games, but maybe not the women's game, who own season ticket kits or wristbands and don't go to the women's game. They are in a drastic minority to the point where I, I think they are outnumbered three, four, five to one of people who go and don't even know what they're going to. Oh, is it a men's game tonight or is it a women's game? Now, that unto itself is a a problem about, you know, having educated fans and knowing what they're going to. Asheville's a very events-based city. It's something we've got to work on as a club. But, hey, I'll take that over somebody, you know, purposely not going to a game just because it's the women's game. But from day one, Asheville City has never, um, it's not called the Lady Asheville City Blues Um, There's not a separate Twitter account. Everything that you were just describing um, Detroit doing, 
Asheville City did it first. I'm not saying we invented it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying we, we were already doing that, and I think we do it well. It's the same game day experience. Nothing changes. Same food trucks, uh, same sponsors, same, you know, I mean, Jim, uh, some of that friction that happened over in Chattanooga um, from the difference between the men and the women, Asheville City has just never had that. So mm-hmm. that has kind of... Um, again, framed how I view the subject, there continues to be an extrapolation of the World Cup unequal pay um, that trickles down through everything. So when you see the Arsenal women not playing at the Emirates, when you see Liverpool not training at their you know world-class training center and the women get kind of what the men used to have, I, I think that's a problem. I think it's something that needs to be addressed. It's something that it's it's a little bit of it's not apples to apples, but it's a little bit of what I always complain about with MLS owners taking 65 cents on the dollar instead of a guaranteed 65 cents on the dollar. You know, you, you don't have to try, you, you know, no matter how hard you try or no matter how hard you don't try, you're getting 65 cents. If you try really hard, maybe you'll get 70 cents. I kind of feel like that's how men's clubs, traditional historic men's clubs are treating the women's game. You know, if we if we just slap a couple ads, if we have, you know, um, Kim Little and Hector Bellerin wearing the same jersey in this advert, you know, we're, we're going to get 65 cents. Um, if we do this, we're going to get 65% of that dollar. It's, it's not a full-blown investment. It's not a full-blown endorsement. And it certainly is an affirmation of belief that this is a property that can be leveraged to its full extent. And, you know, around the world, um, this is a tricky subject. It, it's a tricky subject in the fact that not the entire world is not on the same page on gender equality. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that from a from a, you know, ivory pedestal that America's doing anything great with that. But what we do have is we have control over the NWSL. Um, some of the other countries have I, I mean, look look at England. England has tears. England has pro rel. England has historic clubs that have been there for years and years and years. We have like NWSL, which is basically like the women's league version 3.0. It's the first women's league that's extended, you know, that has existed for more than seven years. We, we, we may be dominating the world game on like a national scale, but we're not a, you know, a beacon of doing things right in a federation sense, um, in a league sense. So let's not act like our nine club league was setting the world on fire, even if it maybe theoretically was the best league in the world. We're, we're not doing things the right way, but we have the opportunity to. And we have the opportunity because the men's game was modeled, you know, when MLS was created in response to the 94 World Cup or necessitated because of the 94 World Cup. Uh, you know, initially it was 
designed to be anti-European. You know, it was very tongue-in-cheek with the mascots and the monikers that were given, um, you know, Tampa Bay Mutiny and, and this and that. I mean, even if you look at the logo of the New England Revolution unto itself, like that's, that's who MLS 1.0 was. And it slowly crept more and, 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 you know, more into a European model, you know, Austin FC, Atlanta United, Charlotte FC. It, it's all so silly now. It's, it's trying to be something it's not. Well, with the women's game, we have the opportunity to do things right for the first time because we there is no model out there nobody's doing the women's game right you know the european countries are doing it the way the men's clubs do but we don't have to follow mls we don't have to doing things mls the if end up if the nwsl looks like mls that's not a quality in my eyes that is framing the women's game through the men's game and it's a missed opportunity. We're leaving money on the table. And I do truly believe that if the, NWL, the NWSL does things differently and does what I think would be the right way of doing it, um, you know, less, um, you know, reduce some of the PLS, do things differently in the lower leagues of the women's game, I think you would see the response to it being so positive, it could not wholesale changes, but I think you would see that trickle back into the men's game and show the men's game that uh, wider collaboration from the amateur up to MLS, everybody would make more money. Which is why it will never happen. And I 100% agree with you. <laughs> no offense, but this holiday is a little out there. <laughs> well, Jim, we got time for one last grievance. Would you? Yeah, would one you? last one last grievance. And this this is this is one that hey, I'm a I'm a Chattanooga FC fan. You can't go into a list of grievances for anybody in this in this city. This came up again very recently, where uh, somebody on Twitter um, stumbled upon. I'm, I, I don't. Know, I guess that's the best way of saying it. Stumbled upon the Chattanooga FC versus Chattanooga Red Wolves story and has written kind of a blog post on it. Apparently, some of that was predicated on, uh, he was, I think the author was writing uh, a, um, uh, I think an update on the uh, a New England Revs to uh, Red Wolves match and, and put it out on Twitter. And my co-host, Todd, um, responded to him and said and said some things about the Red Wolves and, <laughs> and and the author was like why why are you why are you so vested in this and so he started to look into look into it and has written like a short little thing on on CFC and I think he's going to come back and write something else on the Red Wolves and then maybe do some more investigating on that on that story in it and you know you and I were talking about this before we started and you were surprised that there was somebody who followed a lower division soccer team that didn't know about the Chattanooga soccer wars and um, and so I, I, am, I will go ahead and say that I think that story has faded. Um, and I think it needs to be, I think for me, it, and this, sure, I'm a CFC fan. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe this is a little bit of uh, solipsism on my part. But um, 
you know, I do think that story needs to be brought back and people need to pay attention to it and it needs to, needs to be revisited. People need to look at what, um, what that story means because I still think that what's going on here is a lot about, speaks a lot about the future of the soul, at least of lower division soccer. And I think anybody who says that or wants to follow a lower division team needs to be schooled on what's been going on here in the four two three and at least have some type of opinion on it. So why why do you think it's faded? Because things fade. Um because because people move on. That's that's how I mean that's that's just how things are. Um you know just just like the USL supporters were all up in arms about just for a bright shining moment we had USL supporters upset that um, that the money was trickling away from the game when they thought the players would have to take mm-hmm. would have to take a pay cut, right? So for a bright moment, we had stand with the players, and we had and now that now the USL quickly realized, or they said, okay, well we won't do that, and then that didn't solve any problem, right? I mean, it didn't change anything. It just put a salve on on the wound, and the fans just move away. The same thing with the Iron Front stuff with the MLS. You know, there was a bright shining spot where people were like, "Wait a minute, I'm not sure MLS is has everybody's best interests at heart." Mm-hmm. Which is like, is that a revelation for anyone? Um, <laughs> and but then they quickly t- they tamped it down, and now everything's fine. You know, it's the same people doing the same things with the same really with most most the same um you know um guiding principles and values they just they they just tapped that they just tapped us on the head and they moved along so it's faded away so it's the same it's the same thing do you think some of it is because none of the most drastic outcomes occurred and by that, I, I I keep telling Chattanooga fans that they can come down off of some of their rhetoric a little bit because at the moment they are winning and they're winning big over the Red Wolves. Because when the Red Wolves came in, there was a premonition that within the first year or within the first year and a half that the Red Wolves were going to dwarf that they were going to be, you know, they're, they're being funded by a, you know, somebody from Utah worth half a billion dollars. And they were going to get their own soccer specific stadium. And, and all these things were going to happen that basically were going to um, predicate CFC's demise and, and, or, uh, you know, not just demise, but, you know, they weren't even going to be able to exist and toil in the salt mines of um, the NPSL. <laughs> like, like for somehow they were going to be driven even deeper than that. And none of that's happened. If anything, CFC has risen out of the situation, not like a phoenix because they weren't, it's not ashes they were rising out of. If anything, they just continue to climb the ladder that they themselves had built. And it's the Red Wolves themselves who, you know, have definitely tapped into a um, 
I, I don't know how else to describe it other than a good old boys system. And it seems to have, you know, the backing of, if not the backing, at least the affirmation slash an acknowledgement of um, government officials in Tennessee. The NCAA has uh, recognized them and their lofty goals of the soccer specific stadium, and they're going to let them host the D2 national championship in a couple years. Um, but they, they certainly haven't figured out how to tap into the soccer uh, environment in Chattanooga. If you look at their fans um, during their one o'clock kickoffs, when they were allowed to have fans and they're, you know, modular flea market stadium that they have right now, they had the same 200 people, um, if not less than that, at those games. I continue, even in that article you were referencing, um, my man who wrote it uh, unexaminedly, uh, it, you know, uh, chalk their um, attendance up at 1600 on average at their first stadium at the Catholic school or Christian school or whatever it is. Uh, they they never once had 1,600 people. They might have had 1,600 distributed tickets, but they never had 1,600 butts in seats. Uh, I, I still think it's ironic they admitted they had 285 people at one of the games because that's what they had at all their games. Uh, but do you think it's because none of those drastic outcomes happened that people um, were expecting something hyperbolic to happen and, and, and it just didn't? Yeah, that, that's I'm, I'm I'm sure that's part of it. I'm I'm sure that's part of it. But you know the there are, and and I don't I don't want to be, I'm not going to be a doomsayer and say, you know that that the things are on the you know the the existence of CFC is on a knife's edge, any more than the existence of any lower division club is on a is kind of always on a knife's edge, um, as we have seen. You know where one day we have one day Reno has a team, the next day they don't. So, yeah. <clears throat> you know that that stuff is still around. the The big thing for the big thing for me, and the the the, the constant the the cloud that follows me, um, and just my own grievance goes back to the other grievance that I have. That there is there is a there's a uh, we don't have a net, right? So if and that's why some, when something when Miami when what happened in Miami happened when Miami FC bought Ottawa's space and went to USL uh, championship when when um, when uh, Oakland bought the East Bay spot and go into the USL championship, you know those things ring different in this town, you know mm -hmm. that because there are. You know, Detroit's got a home if Nisa goes away because nobody owns that space. Um, I don't know what happens to the Stars. I'm not sure anybody cares. But, you know, so the Stars might be in trouble. But everybody or, else or, around – Or vice versa. Or what, Yeah, I guess. What, what if the Stars were to pony up and buy that, buy that market? I can't believe USL would be that I can't stupid. believe it either, but I, crazier things have happened. That's true. I mean, yeah, that's true. I'm, I live in Chattanooga, so, um, <laughs> so, so there are other like there. The, we're the only real place where territorial rights really push, and mm -hmm. so yeah. So that there, there's a distinct. So that's why for me that um, 
that's why the the Nisa stuff bothers me so much. That's why uh, you know when when USL does things like um, you know convince Oakland to go over or convince Miami to go over um, or do things that subvert potential Nisa clubs um, where where they do things to to break apart ownership groups who are looking at Nisa not because they want the club but because they don't want Nisa to get the club that that kind of stuff rings different to me because we don't have a professional home um, if and so the players that we've grown to you know we've grown to love they don't they're not here the staff would change the the type of club we would I mean, we could go back to I guess MPSL which seems to be imploding in its own kind of fantastic way so that's what that's what i'm worried about no sure sure i think it's it has disappeared as a national story because the 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 catastrophic thing didn't happen but the slow burn is still happening and and that's what you know that's what concerns me and that's why i still think that it's an important story that people need to know about and people need to remember and and I you know and I I have I've met few people um, in my conversations even among USL supporters that don't have thoughts right on on what's going on, but you know and this I get in trouble for this too so this is another <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and throw out since we're airing grievances I'm gonna go ahead and throw out one of the things that that I get I get um, I touch people's nerves when I when I talk about this right here, but. You know, I that's what that's why I will talk to USL supporters and say like I need y'all to know what you're supporting because when you pay to go to your team, your your games, you're supporting USL, the same group of people that want my club to die, and so I need you to know that. Now that there's there's my now that's the thing you ask you know you asked me I tweeted out earlier today maybe I'm maybe I'm ready to let the 2018 stuff go. That's when I start talking about this, it, it, it's, it's, it brings me back in and, and, you know, I, I get fired up about it again. I am genuinely surprised that anybody connected to the lower leagues, whether it be a front office individual, even, I mean, maybe I could see an intern not truly understanding the situation, but if you look at, you know, again, before we started recording, I, I kind of drew the parallel because maybe five years ago, this would be like saying somebody didn't understand the Rayo OKC situation or, or expecting them now not, you know, to know that situation. And maybe it's a little obscure and maybe this Chattanooga situation is, is starting to fade into that. But I really think when in, in the long run, Short of a complete and utter um, decimation by MLS and some, um, you know, to, to the point where they even destroy USL and USL evaporates and um, whatever clubs do survive after that, just enter into the MLS Reserve League and everybody. And, and now we basically just have minor league baseball in soccer. Short of that. If, if anything continues out of the lower league story and continues to um, succeed and changes happen, and again, 
You know, look at look at what the lower leagues looked like five years ago, 10 years, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, change happens unbelievably fast in the lower leagues of soccer in this country, in the men's game specifically. I wish it would happen a little faster in the women's game. But I, I, I think things are going to change. I would not be shocked if in 15 years USL doesn't exist and it's evolved into something else. And NISA doesn't necessarily exist. And now NISA is NASL 3.0 or something. But there is going to be a very, very interesting story. There are fantastic books written about minor league baseball and how Branch Rickey was the um, curator of minor league baseball and kind of originally saw the benefits of, you know, tying the uh, St. Louis Cardinals that he owned and was running um, to the small market, you know, Asheville was actually one of them. Um, we, We were originally a minor league team for the Cardinals and to send players down there and pull them back up when they're ready. And um, I think when that story is written about the lower leagues of soccer in this country, there is a chapter written about Chattanooga because Chattanooga is a microcosm of all of the soccer, all of the soccer wars distilled down to one city. Um, if If you back up and... Just take a a 5,000 foot, you don't even have to go up to 50,000, just a 5,000 foot view on it. You are looking at the intersection of territory rights and and, uh, pro versus amateur and crowdfunding and PLS and the women's game and academy and players and coaches who don't get into that tribalism and think it's okay to see both sides and coaches who are confused that the Chattahooligans aren't just Chattanooga fans of soccer, but they are actually an and a owner who apparently can't keep his finger out of lineup sheets and, uh, you know, <laughs> an, an owner who's running for mayor. I mean, oh, my God, this this is like everything soccer is in this country distilled down to one city. Um, and anybody who is connected to the lower leagues, I, of course, don't expect some of these MLS people to truly understand it. But you can't tell me Landon Donovan and Demarcus Beasley and Peter Wilt and, you know, these through and through um, lower league people who, who are operating in this environment don't know about Chattanooga. So it shocks me that anybody who has a job in the lower leagues, again, whether their opinion is the Red Wolves absolutely have the right to exist or CFC got done hard or I don't really have an opinion on the matter, but I'm at least knowledgeable of it. Those are the only three acceptable answers to me for somebody just to be completely ignorant of it. Just absolutely, absolutely blows me away. Jim, we have aired our grievances. I hope you feel a little bit lighter going into 2021. It's going to be a big season. CFC had some big news this week. Um, It wasn't quite the news we were hoping for, but they did announce their um, own. Uh, You just want to describe it real quick? Sure. Yeah, they they had a film crew follow the team around. uh, Started back in the in the spring, but uh, of course took a break like everybody everything else did, and then followed them through the bubble tournament and releasing it as a five or six episode. Kind of mini series, <laughs> documentary, um, 
it's called No Matter What, The Rise of Chattanooga FC, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And it's going to first air locally here in Chattanooga. And they're working on some streaming, um, uh, some streaming, um, or working with some sites to stream it. So like Amazon, Netflix, those types mm-hmm. of things. But So that, this that, is a documentary done in the style of Sunderland Till I Die or All In or uh, you something know, like Hard, that. hard yep. Knocks, kind of a behind yep. the scenes nitty-gritty uh, depiction of uh, CFC's what was supposed to be their first professional season and it ended yep. up being a season like none other. I know personally, as um, we go into 2021, Asheville City obviously has a... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what they have. I we, we have a pair of amateur seasons that are going to take place at a stadium that um, was supposed to be under renovations. Those renovations aren't taking place. Um, it's a stadium owned by the city, and they have the ability to tell us if we can have games there or not with crowds. I I don't know what 2021 has um, in store, but much like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, um, there's work to be done, and um, I feel a little bit better having gotten a little bit of my uh, grievances out into the air and out of my own head. Jim, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Um, Let's talk uh, soon, and I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, sir. Yeah, you too. It's always great. It's always great to be on here. Whenever you want me to come on and throw a little salt around, I'm I'm happy to do so. Well, do thank you so much. Talk to you soon, Jim. Hey, man, you you can't go. Who's gonna do the feats of strength? How about George? <laughs> I guess that's why they call us the Blues. Time on our hands could be time spent with Bruce. listening to the You're Smarter Than Us podcast. Shoot us an email at yoursmarterthanus at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Y-O-U-R-E underscore smarter.